The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Don't know if you've noticed or not, but my voice is going a little bit. It has been going a little bit for about four weeks now, and it's driving me insane. And I think I'm like... I'm getting strangely angry at my voice, and I don't know what that's about, but it's like I feel really good otherwise, but I can't speak. I can't sing the way I want to sing. And I was just singing there. The thought that came to my mind is, I want to be able to sing this song out at the top of my lungs. I want to be able to give everything I have because, it, A, it's such a great song, but B, the words are just, they're so glorifying God. They're so true. And so we want to be able to express ourselves in the greatest way possible. Because I thought about that, I thought, and this is all going through my head as we're singing this last verse, and I'm trying to belt it out and I can't, is that is really the state that we're in as human beings. That God is so worthy, and we have these times where we just want to live for him and glorify him and, and give him everything, but we're held back by this sin nature, by our flesh. And the great news about this and about what we're celebrating tonight is that it won't always be this way. That our praise won't always be hindered by ourselves. And so tonight we gather together and the goal is to give God as much praise and glory as we can. But the hope is also in this meeting that this is not the end. And that someday we're going to do a better job of this than than what we can do tonight. And so that's good news. I, I don't know why I was thinking about that as we were singing, but it just struck me like, I'm, I'm, I feel so held back. And I was like, we're always held back, and someday it won't be like that. And that's a great thing. So it is a joy to be here tonight, once again, to celebrate the Lord's Supper with you all, with our church family. And I think one of the things that makes this service so special is its simplicity. You didn't come here tonight to, to enjoy a big production or to hear a long and, and eloquent sermon. You didn't come here tonight to be entertained. You came here tonight to celebrate a very simple meal with this church family. And yet this service, as simple as it is, is strangely powerful. Can you imagine any other group of people that would gather together and say the highlight of their gathering is eating a little wafer of unleavened bread and drinking a mouthful barely of juice? Can you imagine any other group of people gathering together for something like that? Driving in, taking time of their day, making this, and not only only this, like, doing it, but doing it willingly, doing it with excitement. Like, this is the highlight of their week. This is the highlight of their month. And yet, that's what this is. The service is strangely powerful. In our world, it is the extravagant, the extraordinary, the exquisite things that are usually thought as powerful and moving. But God chose the most simple service imaginable to convey the greatest truth that exists. Because as we sit together tonight, as we take the bread and take the juice, the wine, what we're doing is we're showing off what the gospel is. That Christ gave his body for us. that, That his blood was spilt for us. And we're remembering the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. And so this evening I want to turn to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 14, and I want to read the the account that Mark gives of Jesus' institution of the Lord's Supper, 
And as I read, I want you to consider both the simplicity of Jesus' words and the profundity of his words. Mark chapter 14, we'll begin reading at verse 22. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and brake it and gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Five short verses. Mark describes the first communion service. And in those five verses, we, we find very few words, but, but words that Christ gives. Take, this is my body, that he had given thanks, that he explained about the new covenant, and then he talked about the fact that one day he would do this with us together in the kingdom of God. And so using bread and wine, Jesus explained to these disciples the work that he would accomplish. My body is given to you, it is broken for you, so that in consuming it, you will have eternal life. My blood has been poured out for you. This blood ushers in a new covenant, a new promise that I am making with you, a promise to save all those who believe in the sacrifice that I am making for you. Luke's gospel records Jesus telling the disciples to do this in remembrance of him. And we are to remember our Savior chiefly through these two elements. Now, certainly we understand that it is, it's important for the Christian to think about the gospel and think about the cross often. Right? Throughout your day, you should be taking time to remember the sacrifice of Christ. But here is the service that Jesus gives that in our lives, we spend the most time, we spend a concerted effort in thinking about the sacrifice of Christ. And so it is here when we come to the Lord's Supper that Christ has designed for us to be remembering his sacrifice more than any other time. On Wednesday nights, our youth group has been going through a series of devotions, and this year we're talking about just walking with God, our our walk with God daily. And we're in a series on the, the Lord's Prayer. And it's been a great time. And what we looked at last week as we began the first line of Lord's Prayer is just how the prayer helps us understand how we are supposed to relate to God. That the prayer begins and it says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And in that very short phrase, there is just so much truth. Right? It begins with our. This is not just a title of God that we can use, that everybody can use of God, but this is a personal uh, possession of God, that he is our Father. He's not just a Father or the Father. He's our Father. And then it goes on and he explains that he is a father to us, that he loves us. Now, we understand that many people don't have fathers who are the kind of fathers they ought to be. Many people have grown up, in fact, no fathers are the fathers they ought to be. All fathers are sinful, all fathers fail. But when we start to think about what a father is supposed to be, we realize that a father is supposed to be loving, that they're supposed to protect that they're supposed to guide, that they're supposed to sacrifice for, that they're supposed to to, um, have just 
plans for and desires for, that they're supposed to, to be there for them, right? And so when we hear the title, Our Father, we get to look up to heaven and personally speak to God as a father to us. And not an imperfect father, but a perfect father and a powerful father. And so what an what incredible way that we are invited to relate to God. Jesus, how do we pray? Well, when you start praying, first recognize that the one you're talking to is your father. What a great way to start a prayer. Then he says, which art in heaven. It's our father, but, but our father is not just like your earthly father, who is limited, who is failing. Our father is the one who sits on heaven's throne. Our father is the one who, the, heaven is throne and the earth is his footstool. Our father is the one who is all-powerful and all-knowing. God is, is beyond our comprehension. I, I was learning this week just a little bit about um, the stars. It was a, a program that was on the radio. And it was talking about the size of the stars and the size of earth. And it was like, did you know that you can fit five million earths into the sun? And so we started to think about God and we start, it's, that God arts in heaven. It's like, okay, well, where is heaven? Is heaven just the sky? Is it our ozone layer? Is it the universe? Is it a place that is outside of the universe? And the answer is yes. That's where God lives. All of those places. God is everywhere, right? So we don't have to actually figure out which heaven he's talking about. And then we start thinking about, okay, so the God who lives in heaven, who created the heavens and the earth, we say, the earth seems pretty big to me. Five million earths fit into the sun. And there's a star called Betelgeuse. Um, circumference of Betelgeuse is larger than the earth's rotation around the sun. Blow you away? That our father, the one we speak to as our father, is the one that created a star that's bigger than the earth's rotation around the sun and just set it in heaven so that someday we could find it and be like, wow, that's a big star? Betelgeuse is a medium-sized star. It's really not that big. Um, Canis Majoris, I think it's the sixth biggest star now, so it's not, it's not the biggest. It's bigger than our solar system. Like, when we start talking about the greatness of God, God has made it. God has made the universe, and he could have made the universe any way he wanted to, but he's made the universe so that no person, no matter what your intellect is, no matter what kind of tools you have at your disposal, no matter how much time you have to think about it, no person can actually comprehend what I'm saying. Like, five billion suns fit in Canis Majoris. Nobody can comprehend that. And God just put it there to say, yeah, this is how awesome I am. Because he is, right? And so our Father, which art in heaven, we should be amazed by the fact that the one we're calling Father is the one who created all these things. Hallowed be thy name. His, his name is holy. His name is separate. He is unlike us in so many ways. And we speak to this God. You say, well, what, what does that have to do with what we're talking about tonight? Well, what we're talking about tonight is Jesus Christ, God incarnate in the flesh, came to the earth. He set, he set the most simple thing you can imagine up. He created all of that. He says, it's by this I want you to remember the sacrifice that I made for you. 
And when we come here tonight, I think we realize that what goes on here, it helps us strengthen relationships. It is, it is not about God showing something magical or mystical or, or something crazy here that we come to and we just see the show and then we're like, oh, wow, what a show. I, I think that this supper is, is very much centered around our relationships. And so what I want to do in just a few moments tonight is I want to see how communion, this communion service, informs and transforms our relationship. And first I want to see how it, how it changes how we relate to ourselves. How we think about ourselves. Communion will do you no good until you recognize your role in Jesus' death. Until you realize that it was your sin that put him on the cross. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Communion service should change how we relate to ourselves because we come here and we recognize and remember and see ourselves as wicked sinners. That we bring nothing to salvation. That it had nothing to do with our goodness. It had nothing to do with our likability or our lovability. That Christ's sacrifice on the cross was him choosing to show love for enemies. Because that is what we are. It is a somber time because communion reminds me of me. I am not all that I... (laughs) Not all that I think of myself, right? I'm not all that I wish I was. I, I'm not all that I dream that, that I could be, that I am. I'm a sinner. A sinner saved by grace. And the only way to pr- properly participate in the Lord's table is to come to the table with empty hands and grateful hearts. I think one of the greatest problems that religious people deal with is the sin of self-righteousness. And this table should wipe that from our lives. How can you be self-righteous when you come to a table remembering the death of God for you? Because of you. Because of sin that you've committed. This ought not be the case for true believers. We should never be marked by self-righteousness. We should see ourselves as sinners and the only part of how the Lord's table reor- sorry, we should see ourselves as sinners, and our only part in the Lord's table is what we did to, to necessitate Christ's death on the cross. But when we come to the Lord's table, we don't just reorient our minds in thinking that we are such terrible sinners. It also reminds us how unmeasurably loved we are. We come here and we say, I've got nothing, I am nothing. But look what he did for me. Look at the sacrifice that was made for me. That God has loved me. And that's what gives me my value. And that's what gives me my self-worth. That's why I I come here. And I don't come here saying, oh, I hope that I'm good enough. I I hope that I did enough. I hope that he's pleased. We We come here with nothing. And then he says, this is how much I love you. This is how important you are 
So we don't derive our value from ourselves. We do derive it from what God sees of us. In the Lord's table, it's a reminder of how loved that you are by the God of heaven. Number two, it changes how we relate to God. Throughout the week, we just ask the question, what do, you, what do you think about God? What comes to your mind first when you think about God? We might say things like, well, he's, he's powerful. He is all-knowing. He's, he's just a great God. When we come to the Lord's table, and we experience this, and we think about his grace and his mercy, and we think about his sacrifice, and we leave this place, what's the first thing that comes to your mind as you, as you sit here tonight and you think about God? It's mercy. It's his undeserved love on sinners. It is his forgiveness for us. Right? Now, it is, it's good for us to remember that he's powerful. It's good for us to remember that he's great and to know those things. But it's important for us to constantly come to God and see him as loving and merciful and forgiving. And sometimes we say those things and we don't really think about what they mean. What they mean is that you deserved hell and he has given you heaven. What they mean is that you should stand in a place where you're condemned and you stand justified. That's what it means. And so when we, when we come here, it changes how we relate to God. We're reminded of his grace and his love and his mercy and his sacrifice and his forgiveness. And I think in a sense, when we come here, those things become very personal. They're not just abstract concepts in our minds. They're not just answers on a test. They are, he died. He bled. He was beaten and spit on and mocked. That he went through real-life torture. That he experienced excruciating pain. That God did all of those things so that he could forgive you. So that you could be his child. It changes how we relate to God. And finally, number three, it changes how we relate to one another. If you were to look down just the aisle you're sitting in, both ways, you would see many different kinds of people. You might see some people who are contractors, and some people that are carpenters, and some people that are mechanics, and doctors, and janitors, and teachers, and just go down the list of all these things that that people are. And I think sometimes when we look at each other, people come to the church and we just naturally, you know, this is who this person is. You might look down the aisle and see someone who has wronged you or someone who has hurt you. When we come to the Lord's Supper, we don't see doctors and janitors and teachers and mechanics and contractors. When we come to the Lord's Supper, we see people for whom Christ died. When you stop for a moment and you think about your relation to God, your your personal relation to God, point number one, what you see is that you were a sinner, that you had nothing to offer. And now when we look at point number three, how we relate to one another, what we see is other people who are sinners, who have nothing to offer, but that Christ loved them unmeasurably as well and gave his life for them. And so it's not just, this is their title, this is their class, this is their education, this is their age, this is all the things that make them different from me. It is, this is now our family. 
These are redeemed brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we relate to one another in a, in a very different way because of the Lord's Supper. Or at least the Lord's Supper reminds us of those things. We are equally and unmeasurably loved by our Father in heaven. And we join here in a cause that's much bigger than each of us individually. This reminds us that our church, it's it's about, I mean, even the Lord's Supper itself is supposed to show forth the gospel till he comes. And that's our job as believers. And we're here to help one another and to build one another up and to grow one another so we can uh, live lives that are pleasing to God so that we can go out and reach our communities for God. It changes how we relate to ourselves. It changes how we relate to God. And it changes how we relate to one another. The communion service is not about the emotions. It's it's not anything mystical that happens with this little wafer and the little cup of juice. But it is about what God is doing in and through these motions to train our hearts to love what we're supposed to love. What What do we really get from all of this? Hopefully, we leave this place loving him more. We love him because he first loved us. Ask the men at this time to come forward.